Hello, hello, hello. This is Susie L. McMahon with Luxurious Journeys and Wellness coming to you with a new podcast that's been adapted from my virtual book club last evening on Wednesday, July 13th. Our virtual book club met with author and former reporter Estelle Ford Williamson, and we discussed our formerly featured book, her novel, Rising Fawn, a thriller, a discovery story, and a real life novel about challenges that we can go through in our relationships and and when we've been violated by identity theft and other crimes of that nature. I hope you enjoy our discussion with Estelle Ford Williamson and also stay tuned for our featured surprise guest, a future author who is also a recording artist and songwriter. You will love to meet Jennifer. Stay tuned for the podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoy it. so fun. Hi, everybody. It's Susie McMahon with Susie L. McMahon's Virtual Book Club. We are here tonight in Beaufort, South Carolina, and we have a new format this evening as the jets, the sound of freedom, fly overhead. Melissa, I don't know if you can hear that, um, but I am here tonight with our featured author in person, Yay! Yay. <laughs> How long has it been since we've been able to be together? But um, I'm going to go ahead and wait just a couple of minutes for everyone to come on. Um, wow, I just used my iPad for the first time, you guys. I've got the teleprompter flying at me. I see people rolling in. Welcome, welcome, everybody. So it is 7 p.m. East Coast time. We're sitting in Beaufort, South Carolina in the lovely Celadon community. I wanted to real quick introduce Melissa to everybody, and then we are going to move into reading Estelle's bio and into our interactive question and answer session. So you guys, you know we've been together like this virtually since the beginning, since the spring of 2020. And I really want to encourage more interactivity um, amongst us in our group, more interaction. And Facebook came up with this new prop called Group Expert. And I went, who else isn't a group expert but Melissa St. Clair? She's always on our, she's always watching. She's always sending questions for the authors. And I just wanted her to join us tonight. So the two of us are going to be hosting our featured author. And we have a surprise guest today that Estelle is going to uh, introduce us to. Right. So Melissa, just that. say hi to everybody where you are and then we'll get started. Hello, good evening from Greenville, South Carolina, the upstate portion of the state. Uh, I'm learning my geography uh, because we've just been here since March. Great. Welcome, welcome. And everybody, can you believe I'm sit I can actually touch yeah. the featured author. I won't we do can too, nudge each other. too much of that. Um, <laughs> But Estelle is sitting here with me in my dining room, and I am just so excited to have her. We just featured reading her book, Rising Fawn. And as you stare off at the screen, I'm going to look down <laughs> okay. and, and introduce and read your bio. You guys, Estelle Ford Williamson is a novelist and memorist. Memorist. How do you say that properly? Memorist. Memorist. <laughs> memorist whose most recent book, set in Rising Fawn, Georgia has won awards from the Sandhills Writer Conference and the Atlanta Writers Conference. Her previous books were Abbeville Farewell, a novel of early Atlanta in North Georgia, and Seed of South Sudan, a memoir of Lost Boy Refugee, which was co-written with Majork Marier. Am mm -hmm. I saying that pretty good? She has received Poets and Writers Inc. grants for reading and workshops in Atlanta and New York, and has, has presented memoir workshops through the Pat Conroy Literary Center in Beaufort, South Carolina. 
as well as the Lou Walker Senior Center in DeKalb County, Georgia. Did you know that's where I lived when I lived in Georgia? Really? Here we go. Coincidence. <laughs> yes. A short story drawn from Rising Fawn was a finalist for the Short Story America Festival in 2017. Born in Chattanooga, Tennessee, Ford Williamson graduated from St. Mary's College, Notre Dame, Indiana, and worked as a reporter for UPI in Atlanta, where she later worked as a management trainer, trainer and career specialist before writing her first novel. She moved to Beaufort, South Carolina area in 2016, and we also know that that is the year the Pac Foundry Literary Center opened, correct? That's right. Yeah. So it looks like we have people joining from Dallas. Everybody, just a reminder, if you're on StreamYard, you want to grant them access so I can know who's talking. Otherwise, I'll just look on my phone. If you see me looking down, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. <laughs> I'm just trying to see what everybody's saying. So we're going to kick it off tonight with Melissa asking Estelle the first question. Go ahead. Awesome. Well, it's a pleasure to be here. And Estelle, it's an honor to uh, roll out the first question for you. Thank you. So in writing about a personal experience, do you find that easier or more difficult to put into a story? Okay. The personal experience part of um, Rising Fawn mostly occurs in the first few pages. Um, I probably stated this on Facebook and other places. I did experience um, uh, a credit card identity theft. They didn't get the credit card. They took the identity from some records and I'm not sure where. I was, my husband and I were visiting in Peru in 2003 over the, over the, uh, over the Christmas holidays. And when I came back, um, you know how you dial or you, even at the gas station, they ask you your zip code. Eh, it wasn't the right answer. Whatever I put in was not the right answer. And they said, call the fraud department of my bank. And I called someone about it. Uh, it was a small bank. Actually, it was a credit union. And um, they said, you know, you're in Torrance, California. I said, no, I'm not. You know, someone had, had lifted my identity and started doing in that three week period of time. They probably went every other day and got two hundred dollars out. So it was a lot of money, and um, I was I was quiz I was quizzical about when I went. I actually the police department was not far from my house, so I went down to the DeKalb County Police Department and I talked to this detective about it. And um, you know he was all about you know how he had helped solve one of these problems, one of these crimes, but he was not about to solve to to do mine. In fact, I did the research, find out where it was. It was a mail drop in. Orange County, California, um, it didn't do anything with it. So some of the parts that are in Rising Fall are in there. But to answer your question, I usually don't do that. But that was such a mind-blowing experience. I thought, you know, this is really, this is, this is worth a novel. On top of which, I was also aware of the breakup, how a breakup causes people to lose our identity. Mm. So I wanted to combine those two things. I'd written a historical novel, my, um, mostly about 1820s, Atlanta and South Carolina. And there's a limited interest in that period sometimes. So I wanted to broaden it with a more contemporary story. And that's what's more contemporary than the marriage in trouble or suspicion, suspicion right. of a human in trouble, or credit card theft, so. Yes. But yeah, it's difficult. Mostly the subject is difficult. Um, I, won't, I won't kid you. Um, there was a famous writer who was in a workshop where I did get a, an award for top novel submission, but one of the writers there had some negative things to say about, I don't care about rich people and their problems and their credit card problems. He was male. But anyway, um, that was a little discouraging. So I had to work really hard to make people care about Claire and make them care about Willie and make them care about the situation. That took a lot of work. So personal experience is almost worse to write with than, than just pure fiction. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you so much for that. And my, um, I, my question that I, we talked, we talked prior to we going before going live, sorry, I'm tongue tied tonight about how exciting it is to be in person, how exciting it is to be able to travel and have you returned to in person 
um, events. And um, if not, will you soon? And what's on in the future for you as far as interacting with the public? Thanks for the question. Sure. Um, I'm in the process of setting them up. Um, I've got one in September. I'll be on uh, the Noonan Library in Georgia, uh, in Noonan, Georgia, Hometown Novel Night, which is um, a really neat program that is put together by um, writers in Atlanta. I'm going to be part of a really interesting program that I'm going to let our surprise guests tell you about. Uh, that will be in August, and uh, you'll hear more about that. Um, other workshops are going to be coming up in November. I'll be part of the um, Pat Conroy Literary Festival. That's going to be November, first weekend in November. I think it was three to five, something like that. So I'm looking forward to all of those and arranging some others. Um, I'm used to being in Atlanta where there are a lot of book opportunities. I've been at bookstores here in, um, in Beaufort. And looking forward to being in some in Augusta, Greenville, and places like that. Just setting it up now that we can return to live events. Thanks. Thanks. Isn't that exciting? I, being from Denver, I got a glimpse today of the All Star Game, and it just was like, is that really actually happening? <laughs> All those people. It was. It was wonderful. It's wonderful to see that energy. Um, Melissa, what what question, other question do you have for Estelle? Let's see. Oh, and Estelle, I wanted to also thank you for uh, making all of those great posts in the Facebook group to, you know, share snippets of, of your writing um, for Rising Fawn. Uh, so that leads me to um, in fiction writing, do you believe a story comes to the writer or and if it fits, are you meant to write that story? Uh, that's a good question. Um, Bryn McLean, who's a friend of mine, says, my stories come to me and, you know, they come seeking me. And there is another uh, passage where someone, uh, uh, Ann Patchett, talks about having a story that she wanted to write. And she sat down with Lou Emily Gilbert and turned out that both of them had the same idea. But Emily Gilbert had, or Elizabeth Gilbert had put it aside because she didn't think she could write that story. But, you know, it's a kind of eerie thing, like, the stories are going around looking for writers. Um, I think my story probably had to happen to me because I set it in such a place um, that was so ingrained in me. Um, growing up, my parents would take us around to all these different places. We had a large family, so if it was free, that was a good idea. And if it's out out of doors, even better, because uh, then we could run and you know scream and holler and you know just get our uh, lungs out. But the long and the short of it is I was exposed to a whole lot of that when I was growing up. I thought I was underprivileged, but as it turns out, I was horribly privileged, wonderfully privileged to see all these places. Uh, Lula Lake uh, that's described in the store, Lula Lake and the waterfall, Lula Falls, is a, is was introduced to me in the 90s after I'd already been there as a kid as one of the most beautiful places in all of the United States. And it was where we would go for family picnics. When I say family picnics, it was my mother and, and lots of aunts and uncles, a large family. Um, we would go there as teenagers. Then it got really rough. It became so rough. Nobody wanted to go there because of um, drugs and other kinds of things. Also, I was aware that that was where car strippers would dispose of cars after they, you know, shopping malls became really big in the 60s. So it created a crime scene for all of these cars to be stolen, their parts stripped and sold illegally. Well, there was a ring up on Lookout Mountain that was doing that. So they dumped the cars. 200 car carcasses were pulled off the, um, the cliffs here. So I guess the story was seeking me because I'd been in these places. Even as a reporter for UPI in Atlanta, we would get stories from all over the uh, state so that we could send them on to the national. Um, this one was not a national level, but it certainly was state level. There was a horrible murder, uh, not murder, but a, a mauling of a child at a trailer up on Lookout Mountain, not far from that. And it kind of, it was at the time when there wasn't a lot of population around. And um, it was just to me in the early, in the late 60s, it was just emblematic of the, the sadness and the tragedy that occurs sometimes in some of the most beautiful places in the world. Mm. So that, that was, a, so it was a story seeking me, I guess. It just had to be written I'm I'm glad. Glad. <laughs> eyes and ears open. 
Well, I, I thank you for that. And I wanted to um, acknowledge a few of our members that are watching from Dallas. I see Karen um, is here and I think Jill Fleming as well. Welcome um, from the Texas area. And the question I have for you um, next is as well, it's a personal um, piece discussion to where I was left at the end of the novel. And I wanted to know more about um, Claire and her family and also how things were gonna either work out or not work out with her husband. And I'm just kind of curious if there's more brewing or is, are, are we just left to one? No, there, there will be more. It's just, I can't tell you when. Okay. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not Mary Kay Andrews. I don't come out with a book every year. <laughs> I'm not, you know, Mary Alice Monroe, wonderful writers. They, they have, they have, they have the ability to write so quickly. I don't, um, I, I really don't have that ability. I'm a, I'm a researcher, you can tell. You know, and I like to go where I'm going to be. And I anticipate I'll need to go to Ireland for this the sequel. But there will be a sequel. There'll be more about the Irish family side, uh, less about the Italian. But um, people have told me what, me what they want me to do with Willie. So I'm getting some ideas, you know. <laughs> I'm getting ideas of uh, where it's going to go after that. I'm not going to leave her by the end of March. I just can't promise it's, you know, in the next year. You know, it's going to take a while. But thank you for that question. We'll be patient, and yeah. that way we can just on, we can come back. Yeah. <laughs> um, I just wanted to point this. I'm not quite sure who's mentioning it, but earlier when we were discussing the identity theft, one of our watchers said identity thieves target all socioeconomic levels. It's violating and turns our lives upside down. Um, I, I find that any kind of crime that any of us experience, it seems very invasive, and it gets you kind of on edge and and I'm so sorry that you went through that yourself. And I'm sorry that uh, Claire has, and for anybody else that has experienced something like that. I feel like we're always looking for the good in everyone. And some of the posts um, that you shared and that we had in discussion in the book club group on Facebook, the one story was riveting about the man, the woman who was hiking. And the next thing you know, the man is there. and. And how many of us have gone on hikes? How many of us go to the beach? How many, you know, and it, it's sad to know that we have to keep our guard up, but um, it's not to not go enjoy nature, um, but we always have to be aware, right. I think, as well. Um, let's see, Shoshana has joined us. She's in Texas too. And I um, wanted to see if anybody had any live questions you see any there, um, Melissa? If you're watching, I don't see any extra live questions. So, um, do you have one more for Estelle, or I can come up with one for sure? Um, well, it kind of bounces off of, of something that you were discussing earlier about being uh, able to be playful as a child and to nurture that creativity, or you know, have that those experiences to you know, carry you through. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit more, how you're inspired by nature and continue to be? Thank you. That's a great question. I spent a lot of time on the porch of our home in Chattanooga. Um, it, we were three miles from the, I went to a Catholic school. All my friends were three miles away. So I spent a lot of time on the porch and someone was talking about, um, you know, places that they remembered. I, I remember writing stories. I had heard about a wedding that took place in the chapel by the wayside in, um, in California. It's on the, um, it's on a peninsula. I can't remember the name of it right now, but it used to be very uninhabited because it was very unstable. You know, the roads were very rocky and, and uh, Palos Verdes Peninsula, that's where it is. Um, it's been in the news lately because that's where Tiger Woods uh, rolled his car. And a friend of mine lives there and I'm thinking, I don't want to go see it because it's not like I remember it. It didn't have any people on it. You know, it was just way out. Uh, but I would write stories about people that lived in that area. I've designed the three story houses with all glass in three stories. Um, so I had this rich imagination that was just looking for a place. Um, and I was surrounded by family. My mother was one of eight and uh, my grandmother lived with us. And a lot of those relatives with their kids would come over and they would tell these stories, uh, these amazing stories. I probably will be writing some kind of a memoir about um, my mother's family all being sickened with the, um, the pandemic of 1918. 
Wow. Eight children, no, seven children at that time, and a mother and father. And four years later, my grandfather, who I never knew, died of um, pneumonia, never quite recover, recuperated. So I didn't understand that was the reason why they were all gathered around. But what they were doing was they were matching their information. Okay, we moved, I think they moved eight times or seven or eight times in all that time uh, because they lost the breadwinner. And each of the children in turn stopped out from high school to go go to work and support the rest of the family. And that went on for eight, seven of the eight children did that for each other. So that's how they survived. And what they were doing was they were kind of, okay, was that at the Wilkins place or was that in Lakeview when that happened? You know, all of them were picking the brain of the older sister who remembered everything. Um, but these stories, you know, I had an aunt whose husband was one of the last horse cavalrymen at Fort Oglethorpe. I had relatives who lived in a home. My, my mother's best friends lived in a house that was a hospital during the World War, uh, during the American, during the Civil War, the Battle of Chickamauga, and their father had take had been taken to the battlefield, and his father, he was three, the father of my mother's good friends, he was three, and his father said, "Son, this is war," as these you know incredible devastation of bodies and everything all over the field. So, you know, you just have these experiences. The nature part was the best, you know, just being able to be, we would go down to Chickamauga Creek and, you know, we just walk, we pretend, you know, we were Balboa or, or somebody, you know, we were learning about the different um, explorers in school. And so we'd be taking a hike like Balboa and his men. Um, but, you know, you just walk, walk to the creek and you'd see all kinds of wildlife and things in the creek, like a Jeep, somebody had driven a Jeep into the creek. It's big, it's, a, it's almost like a river. And that same river, that same creek was the site of um, Brainerd Mission. Brainerd Mission was 1816, 1820, before the, um, bef before the Trail of Tears, there was an attempt to bring all the technology of the time, blacksmithing, farming, sewing, all these things to the Cherokee Indians. And so their children lived there so that they could learn these. And the men and women lived there. Of course, they got their religion, but they mostly, the chiefs wanted them to have English. The religion came with it, you know. But um, these were the sites around me, large swaths of land around the creeks. And um, so it wasn't hard to imagine you know, things in their natural state without the highways, without the cars. And so we, we tramped around a lot. We did a lot of tramping. Wow. Yeah. We have a lot of questions that are coming in, but at this, we will get to some of them. But yeah. at this point in our um, book club meeting, we always, when we're able to, we would like the current featured author to introduce a surprise guest. Yes. And I'm going to, I'm cueing you to do that now. Okay, that's um, <laughs> and so I'm going to go ahead and have you start um introduce or you want me to pull her on first and then you do, do the introduction or you want to let me like, start and then you pull all on. right okay you, you nudge me when you want me to pull okay. her on stand That's by thank you um our special guest this evening is a performer musician singer songwriter who has as it turns out created her first novel and actually has two novels at this point and she is of all places, she's from near Rising Fawn, and she grew up um, in the Chattanooga area. And when I first acquainted with her, um, found out that she lived in a cabin on Lookout Mountain. I was living in Atlanta at the time. She was performing nearby. I said, I've got to see this person. Her name is Jennifer Daniels, and many of you have probably heard of her because she is in a lot of clubs in Atlanta, Rome, um, up and down the East Coast. Uh, Jennifer has been performing and writing songs for 23 years professionally, not to mention, you know, all the early years uh, where her on Facebook, I see people telling her, I knew you were going to be great when you used to sing at 10, you know, so she will debut August 25th, a ninth album and a novel called Lockbox. And it's an adult novel. Um, she has played at Eddie's Attic. Now, and also Red Clay Theater, among many, many other venues in the Atlanta area and uh, lots of venues up and down 
uh, everywhere from Leesburg, Virginia, to um, places in Texas and others. Uh, she is she's the writer of the Lockbox, and it's all. And she has also won an, um, an award, a national award, for her young adult speculative fiction novel called The Elixir. But the um, Lockbox is just now on Amazon and available everywhere. And um, I just want to introduce you to Jennifer Daniels. Thank you, Estelle. That was a kind introduction. And I'm so pleased to be able to be with you ladies, especially you Texas ladies. The Lockbox is set in Texas. And we were um, we were in Texas today. We were in Houston, though it was virtual. We were in our home on Lookout Mountain, where Estelle's book is set, and um, and we were doing that virtually. But thanks, thanks for letting me come on. Glad to hear you. have you. I want to ask you a question about your your uh, writing. How did you you're living in Tennessee or? Are you in Georgia or Tennessee part of We're it? We're right across the line in Georgia. So, you We're know, you know, good and well, Lookout Mountain has Georgia, Tennessee, and Alabama. Right, right. And so we're in, we're in the cow section of Georgia. And, okay. uh, yeah, yeah, like a stone's throw from Lula Lake Falls. That You are so fortunate. That is that is really wonderful. Beautiful. How, how, how did you research a book in Texas if you are in Tennessee, uh, Georgia? So, Jeff, my husband, Jeff, and I, as you said, have been playing professionally for 23 years. And so writing, you know, song length pieces of art and touring all over the place, just always on the road. Um, spent a lot of time in Texas, especially the Austin area. And then a couple years ago, I was presenting at a conference in that area and went through a lot of um, farms where... I saw those huge, crazy looking long horns and I just was in love with them. And this one particular, uh, it was right along the interstate and I saw these longhorns alongside these tiny donkeys. And I was so curious about that. And so when I asked some of my acquaintances in Texas at the conference, they said, oh yeah, that's for protection. And I thought, oh, that's so nice that the longhorns are there to protect the donkeys. They're like, no, 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 the donkeys protect the longhorns <laughs> blew my mind. Um, so, you know, just as we've traveled, that's um, Susie mentioned before my song called Ohio that sort of talks about how wet and foggy and cloudy Ohio can be and how gorgeous and bright and dry Denver can be. Um, and that's just all because we've traveled so many places and gotten to know different kinds of people, which is probably the gift of my life. That That's probably the best thing about getting a life of music is getting to see all those different people and places. That's great. So I am so sorry about that. Live, live, um, live, live you know, shows. Live, yeah. life happens. So I apologize. Welcome, Jennifer. And I, I, I have to like stop everything. No, you were holding something. Can you pick oh, yeah. it back up? My yucca baby. Ukulele. Can, My little yucca baby. Do you, do you want to share anything with us? Absolutely. Is that okay. all right, Estelle? Sure. So, Estelle and I talk a lot about how music and novels, how they kind of connect. And I know Estelle listens to different types of music as she writes different pieces. Um, this is one that I wrote, uh, Jeff and I. Okay. So we're touring for like 10 years. We find out we're pregnant which is a blessing, but also an absolute handicap to touring. So then it wasn't just one, it was twins. So <laughs> wow. the twins were born. We thought, gosh, we want to stay rooted in music, but we also, you know, want to give our kids a life rooted in the community. So we started doing lots of kids music and I get to work for author Eric Litwin, who, if you're into small kid literature, he writes the Pete the Cat, or he wrote the first four, Pete the Cat, picture books, the blue cat, Anyway, so he helped me get involved in doing lots of shows for kids and doing literature for kids. And um, we asked our own children's PTO if we could teach the kids how to play ukulele. And surprisingly, they said, yes, we're going to buy, you know, 60 ukuleles. And we went. And so Jeff and I were like, we got to learn how to play now. So, <laughs> so here we got these ukulele and uh, I started playing. And this is the first thing that came out. You were half dead when you left the way. Blood on your hands and held to pay. Imagine your surprise on Judgment Day when he smiles that smile. Hallelujah, let's go 
Jesus, there'll be drumming and dancing and it's trumpet time. You can hear him live with his band of angels. You will remember your freedom and forget your crime. Remember your freedom and forget your crime. Remember your freedom and forget your crime. Wow. You guys sounded very mighty of an audience just then. All right. Yeah. I have to mention, um, one of our uh, viewers has asked, what were the music musical influences in my book? And Jennifer was one of my, she was in my mind as I was writing the story. Um, the the jam sessions that would take place in, you know, barns on a horse farm or, or wherever that I would go to with my sister, all that jammed together with going, listening to Jennifer and having several of her albums and those songs just came through. So she was a direct influence on that scene in, I think it's chapter six, uh, where they're in the farmhouse. Gordon has taken invited her to what is going to turn out to be her salvation, learning that there are people with music and all these good things up on the mountain, something to counteract that event where she was almost accosted by one of the four backs in that, um, that grocery store live bait, you know, ammo shop where she'd stopped on the way up. So this is her salvation. She's meeting these musicians and, and, if there's music, everything is going to be cool, right? But yeah, she was, Jennifer was a direct um, model for that. So I think I named them something else, but it was Jennifer and, Je and Jeff. <laughs> That's wonderful. So um, when I had to get up for a second, had you all asked each other a question yet? I know that I asked her a question, you asked, yeah. okay, Jennifer, have you, do you have a question yes. for us all tonight? Well, we've sort of alluded to it already. I was, I was going to ask that very thing about how, music does influence your writing. And no. I think that you kind of got at that. I um, Basically, I did listen to a lot of her music as I was writing. Uh, for writers, it's like exercise. I was in, um, in the exercise studio this morning. Yay, I can go back <laughs> in a limited way. And the leader was saying, I love exercising to music. I said, not exercising to music is like pizza without the crust. Right, so amen. Women, Writing without the music is like pizza without the crust. You know, it's now, not. Do, Estelle, it's not do they know this about you that you're an excellent basketball player? Oh yeah, yeah. I don't know if anybody I knows know that. that. But I'm, I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not really good. But one of our writers in my local writer group, um, Barbara Bausch, I hope she's watching. Um, she she gave me pointers on how I was supposed to play basketball. So I've been going out and practicing. I was play, playing basketball in the days when girls could not go to the other end of the court. You could only play half court. So I was a guard. I never was a, you know, a shooter. So now I'm a shooter. I love that. <laughs> Good technique for writing. When I come to town, we're going to, we're going to go one-on-one. -on -one. Okay. I got it. I'll get the air in them. <laughs> You'll beat me though. I don't know anything. Um, but Hey, yeah, but we are going to be together in a uh, Tybee Island. That's what I was going to say. August 7th, right? Right. So Jeff and I are going to do a kids show that morning and then a singer songwriter show that night. And Estelle's going to come and I'm be our excited. special guest. I'm, I'm on the same bill. I mean, it says <laughs> with Estelle yeah. Ford Williamson. I can't believe it. I'm next to Jennifer. I, I am feeling the same and way. It's, it's mutual. Coast Theater, which is a wonderful theater built uh, during World War II, uh, World War One, actually, on um, right. The fort there, Fort Scriven, I think it is. So, yeah, Evan, yeah. the guy who runs the theater now is telling me that there were maybe 25 of these built in the country and so mm -hmm. many of them have been demolished, but they were able to save that one. So it's a neat cultural site as well as um, a great place for to get to hear some of Estelle's reading. Are you going to read from your book? I'll Can read I? very briefly at, at the um, event in August. And then, then I'm also going to be... Um, but I'm going to be listening for your music. It's going to be the first time that we'll be together live reading and singing. Yeah. So that'll be fun. We, we we can definitely have her um, read an excerpt, but if you want to plan one, just, to, you know, while I talk a little bit about some of the other questions okay. that have popped up, um, that's a great idea, Jennifer. Thank you. So a couple of things came up in conversation. Shoshana down over in Texas, um, bringing up when you talked about how um, a lot of your family um, was involved or survived or 
what happened in 1918 with the Spanish flu, one of our featured authors in the uh, book club was um, Susan Messinger, and she wrote As Bright as Heaven. And we we're wondering mm. if you'd heard of that. Um, uh -huh. Might be a good um, yeah. pre-read pre before you venture in that yeah. area. Um, what we all found, Melissa and I and everybody else, is that there was so many similarities to be reading that book. Um, during 2020, um, it was eerily similar. And it's obvious that we all had to put certain things in place um, that once everybody realized what was going on, history has gone through this before, obviously. Um, while you're looking, I, I have a question both for Jennifer and for Estelle when she's ready, is what kind of impact, Jennifer, did the pandemic have on your creative energy? Um, they're hearing that a lot of great art has come out of previous pandemics. Um, I would feel that everybody dug deep for inspiration. What was your experience like? So um, March 13th, we, uh, I was in Savannah. We played a couple of uh, schools there. And then March 14th, I started hearing one by one by one, our whole tour just got boom, right. wiped out. And it was, it was frightening because this is what we do for real. I mean, I'm a teaching artist in the schools with the University of Tennessee, but then, you know, we write and we sing and it's, and we have two 12 year old children now who were trying to go to middle school and studying online. And so it was frightening. We, we did a lot of praying. I am not going to lie. And, uh, and we were just taken care of in beautiful ways, but you mentioned the creativity part. We had lots of time, you know, we had space to really sink into it. I wrote a blog about how, you know, artists are not new to uncertainty. Most of us hardworking writers and musicians out there have been praying for a long time <laughs> just to just to make ends meet and uh, to redefine success and and to keep at it. So that was my encouragement to my colleagues is just to say, you know, we're scrappy. We get by, we, we figure it out and and we help each other. So it turned out to be a neat and meaningful time. The book, the lockbox got finished up and edited nicely in that time. Um, and it's getting good reviews. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so excited too. And are you ready? Sure. So we're going to let our featured author, Estelle, write, uh, write, <laughs> read to us um, from Rising Fawn. Thank you. And I'm going to it be a little awkward because I'm going to skip some spaces, but I think it'll it'll make sense. Again, this um, in this book, Jennifer becomes Jill. So again, the strains of Jill's music with penny whistle and guitar played it in her head. Fragments of widening sky, that's a real song, ran through her mind as she looked down at the chasm between the mountains. Green hills gently rose up through the valley, partially screening the two highways, an interstate and a national road. Railroad tracks roughly paralleled the highways, and between the tracks and the highways lay a long, stringy creek, almost hidden by groves of trees and small ridges. The rising fawn buildings were neatly, were nearly obscured below. The interstate, the two-lane highway, the creek, and the railroad crowded in to accommodate the narrow valley created by the elbow of the lightning bolt. Then all four spread out again, hugging their own sides of the long, northeast-running valley. When her grandparents' families had come here, perhaps James's father saw a bit of Ireland in the green mountains and valleys. She couldn't picture what would have been familiar to her Italian ancestors. But Patty Connor would have smelled the air, seen the rivers and valleys, and thought he'd come home, only to a better home, one where he could hope to own land and never be hungry again, as the family was in the, the famine-ravaged old country. How far the descendants of those immigrants had come, Claire reflected, looking down from her perch. But then her own dilemma raced through her mind. Was this progress to be booted out of her home and sent to scramble for a living up in the rocky soil of her ancestors' homes? Surely she'd come farther than this. She's on a um, cliff overlooking the valley. It's 2,000 feet below her. It's a place called Johnson's Crook. And um, she's looking at the valley below. And as she's there, here comes this guy through the woods, Gordon, who'd introduced her to Jill um, the night before at the jam session. Um, so he's gonna play music and she's gonna be listening and, and really enjoying it. So she's getting more of this. Um, she said, tell me about um, Jill and Jean and their music. Claire said, once Gordon finished, it's, it's eerie music. Is that what people coming to the mountains knew? 
It's Celtic in its roots. This is um, Gordon talking. Probably predates the pioneers by a few centuries. Like the Celtic stories, the musical verses were long and wandering, following many paths, not neat with rhymes and refrains like we have to, in ballads and tunes we play today. But it's an influence, rooting melodies, sorrowful stories. But their stories probably have more heroines than our, than our stories do. The Irish had strong women as well as strong men. I didn't know that. I don't know a lot about it, but Jill has told me a bit about the culture. Amazing. I'm part Irish Catholic and part Italian. I know very little about either culture. So later they're talking. It turns out that um, Gordon is um, has come from an alcohol family of alcoholics or an alcoholic that was really bad, and they're sharing stories a little bit. And um, he he asked her what she's doing up there on that mountain, and um, she said, you know, she told him about Willie and how bad it was and or how much she missed him too. And he says, well, what does? And she says, oh, and to, to boot. I went to a local graveyard and there's my grandfather and he's not where he's supposed to be. He's with another woman. So I'm, you know, just really befuddled by all this. And he says, what does it matter who's in a graveyard? You're here. You have hopes and dreams and you contribute to the world. Who cares what happened in the last century? Who cares what happened before in your marriage? It can change. The important thing is to keep acting like you're the stable point in the universe. Every little disappointment, every little bend in the road can throw you off unless you become your own compass. He smiled and she wiped her face with her sleeve again. She'd been crying through this. She looked up at him. Do you want to hear something really crazy? She asked. Sure, I'm ready for some good song material. He strummed an F minor chord. I'm a life coach. I'm supposed to have all the answers. Gordon laughed. A life coach? What a hoot. He played a G chord. What you're telling me, although with much more interesting twists, is what I tell people in my workshops. This is um, Claire speaking. I like that stable point in the universe, and I'm going to use that. A life coach? That's great. I'm going to use that, he teased. He waved his arm over the view below them. Invite Willie up here. If you can't get him to fall back in love with you on this rock, there is absolutely no hope. On the other hand, there might be some hope, and then you'll really be in trouble. Then you'll be moving up here and be badass neighbors, cussing the local folks. They both laughed and Claire let tears flow. Let the afternoon light winds take care up into the clouds. That's beautiful. It's sure it's really different hearing, you know, we read ourselves, but to hear the author read their own words, don't you agree, Melissa? That was really moving to, for me. I, I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. It's, it's so, it's so deep and, and even more meaningful. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, audio book, audio book. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do that. I love to hear myself talk. So that would be great. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> Melissa, do you have a question for Jennifer real quick? Um, gosh, let me think. I just I've lost my I lost my train of thought. No, so oh, not 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 very good for your first uh, guest guest uh, co-host um, Jennifer. With your music, um, do you find that it comes to you, or you carve out time to sit and write? So I used to be a um, a diehard. If the muse has not captivated you, do not force it kind of kind of gal through college well of course the muse was there all the time in college so i would skip class and go do songs right <laughs> and the older i've gotten and the more responsibilities that i've had you know keeping a home and taking care of kids and and now my time is not my own and i'm spread much thinner um i think carving out time is so important i just wrote a blog about how you know in midlife um, one of my friends from Texas, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to move to Texas. <laughs> she wrote and she said, do you think I could pick the guitar up again? It's been so long. Do you think I could write songs? And I'm like, absolutely. I truly believe that the only enemy for creativity is disuse. I think once you just start wheeling that, you oiling that wheel, you know, it starts to turn. And I'm a big believer in carving out time not necessarily to put pen to paper, not necessarily to pick up the guitar, 
But to make space in your brain, in your life, to notice things, to listen to people, to be interested in them and hear their stories. I'm actually, I got my master's in counseling because my mom was like, you, you know, you have to have a fallback if this music thing doesn't work out. And I got to hear these beautiful stories from people who were hurting and things that happened to them. And I remember looking at this one woman who was looking to me for answers and just thinking, yeah, that's messed up. I don't know what to do about that. <laughs> but I can write a song about it. <laughs> so I do feel like, you know, just paying attention and making space will help all the creativity happen. That's wonderful, Jennifer. Yeah, thank you. So I wanted to circle back um, so that Estelle can um, answer the question that one of our um, members asked of what kind of impact has the pandemic had on your creative energy? Um, this person has heard that the that great art has come out of the previous pandemic. So we'll give you a chance to answer that. And then we'll summarize our evening in just a moment and, um, and sign off. Go ahead. Thanks. Well, the great story about the pandemics uh, is that um, Mary Shelley was refuge. They were, quarantining, I think, when she wrote um, Frankenstein. You know, they were, it was the Black Plague or something was active in Europe or wherever they were. And they were in a country house away from when she started writing that story. So that would be one one pandemic story. But uh, in my case, and Jennifer can comment on this too, um, I found it really helpful that I didn't have to go places. You know, I was, I was forced to write because not forced to write, but it, it became easier. It, the flow could come and go a lot easier because I wasn't having to go places. And if I was working with my groups, it was just on Zoom. You know, I could Zoom with my groups to get feedback. And that was that was really helpful. The, the, the really big thing, though, for me is this book was um, being evaluated. It was out um, to different publishers in February, it struck me that I needed to write or to email and find out, gee, I sent it to you. What did you think? And one of them emailed back, we sent you an acceptance in November. <laughs> and that was my publisher, um, Whip and Stock, good people out in Eugene, Oregon. And um, so it was a good thing. The pandemic worked out to be a good thing. It's It really, in, in all areas of my life, fo fo focused things down to what was important you know, keeping up the family relationships that were important. It had to be by phone rather than in person. Uh, but we were so busy going places and catching up to people who were going places. Remember when your friends, you, you know, you could actually contact people because they were home. You know, it was kind of, it's kind of changing now, but um, it was very refreshing. Thank you. Very much so. Thank you for the question. Sure. And then Jennifer, normally I have a copy of the book, but we met each other so quick and so fast. Can you please show everyone Bring it up as close as you can. So we can it'll see. probably get out of focus, but. Oh, will it? Okay. Let me, here, let me try to switch. What? Wait, wait. I'm, I'm challenged here. I don't know. <laughs> Hold on. I'm challenged too. Beautiful Spanish oh. moss draping yeah. from a tree. And it says, The Lockbox by Jennifer Daniels Neal. <laughs> it is beautiful. And so you and I need to get together to finalize what month we're going to read, but you're, pu you're coming out this week or yesterday or right. When is your public? The book? Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's out on Amazon and wider distribution in the next week or two. Wonderful. So yeah. it is out now for all of it you is. watching and for all of you that watch the um, replay that haven't met us live. You missed a lot, a wonderful live experience tonight. We had live music. We've got our guest speaker. We have our featured author and our future feature author. So Jennifer and I will get together and we'll figure out exactly um, what month we will feature her and um, do this whole um, wonderful experience again. Um, Jennifer, do you have any questions for me or Estelle or Melissa? I'm just, just trying to see if there's any last, last thoughts before we sign off tonight. I just, I appreciate this so much. This is the first time I've gotten to be on a book club as a, you know, to get to say stuff. So it's so exciting because it's my first thing. So thank you. You're so welcome. I'm glad Estelle introduced us. Yeah. Melissa, do you have anything else? This has been an awesome experience, and uh, it, it's just uh, great to be part of the Susie L. McMahon book, Virtual Book Club. <laughs>
and okay. meet your travel needs with her as well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you can come up with a ukulele jingle for me. <laughs> Susie's trouble. Susie's trouble. Don't stay home. Don't stay home. Don't stay home. Don't well, stay alone. People are not um, staying home, but they need to pack their patients right now because yeah. the industry is inundated and not staffed up like everywhere else. I just wanted to give Estelle, our featured author, um, one last word just to summarize um, whatever you want to say, and then we'll sign off for the night, and I'll do some quick book club business, um, but um, thank the, you. The book club us. has been a beacon of hope for us authors in our homes and in our hometowns trying to reach out. It's just been wonderful. Thank you. I appreciate Aww. it. I'm so glad to have followed um, Rebecca Broth and and. Um, Donna Keel Armour and others, all friends of mine who've been on here. And I'm just so excited to be able to be part of that group. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for letting us feature you. And Jennifer, it's such a pleasure to meet you. Melissa, thanks for coming on. You did great. And everybody, um, I'm going to do a little book club business, but we're going to say goodbye to our wonderful guests and friends. Um, take care, everybody. Have a wonderful week and a good rest of your summer. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. You're welcome. Bye-bye, guys. How much fun was that? I thoroughly enjoyed our time with Estelle Ford-Williamson and Jennifer Daniels and my group expert this month, Miss Melissa St. Clair. I look forward to our next meeting, our virtual meeting, which will be adapted into a podcast as well. If you would like to participate in the virtual book club, you can find us housed on Facebook. It's simply under my name, which is Susie, S-U-S-I-E, middle initial L for Lynn, last name McMahon, M-C, capital M-A-H-O-N, apostrophe S, virtual book club. It is a closed um, group on Facebook, but I will approve your request to join if you'd like to join our community. If you'd like any information about travel, feel free to look at my websites. I have two. One is under luxuriousjourneys.com, luxuriousjourneys.com, and the other is Lux Low Country Travel. That is my niche in the low country of Georgia and South Carolina. So that's L-U-X-E-L-O-W-C-O-U-N-T-R-Y. I'm so thankful that you joined us for the podcast this time and hope to connect with you in the future. Have a wonderful day and happy reading.